Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and my cast is as follows. C. Thomas plays Oka Hien, an Osamar Bloodhunter. Max Guo plays Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra Artificer. Erica Flaidlin plays V. Scherzo, an Elf Sorcerer. Valiant Dorian plays Vasca, a Yuanti Bard. Hamna Shahid plays Jaron Cotter, a Dragonborn Rogue. Dare Hickman plays Gentle, a Triton Monk. Quinn B. Rodriguez plays Sitlali, a Changeling Cleric. And Austin Knight plays Abiku Ishtar, a Reborn Goliath Ranger. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include complex and complicated relationships, death of loved ones, grief, romance and flirting, references to sexual entanglements, heights, and descriptions of food. Arc 6, Episode 15, Halos That Flame in Cold Rain, from The Branch Won't Survive by Molly Wagle. Vertigo. Heat. The sweltering rush of breeze. Stampede. Midnight. Light. Traveling a thousand pistons a second, funneling through time like a sieve. Pain. Gorgeous, refractive, a disobedient reflection pulling faces. Roots. A seed, new growth, sprouting tender and green arms splayed to drink the sun. Breath, frothing through thought, whirling, spinning, fruitful eddies of soul cascading past your eyes like a dream. Sen, the god of change, the goddess of nature, the deity of time, which is life, which is difference. Their presence aches inside your ribcage like a bruise from a clenched fist or a lover's mouth. It pulses, wrenches, heaves like the ocean, like grief, Oka. You see your own back, rigid like a diamond. You're walking through endless white space. Your destination doesn't matter. What matters is you're leaving. Clustered on the other edge of this expanse, you see your mother, your sisters. Yahya and Liangya are crying. Toya's face is void. And your mother looks so small, so frail. You also see Mercy, Jaron, Gentle, Sitlali, Ravi. Everyone you've 
forever left, their lives forever changed by your presence, your absence. Why? 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 What? Huh? Why did you leave? I had to. I had no other choice. Why? Where are you? A fox. A rabbit. Split down the middle, its face ever-changing, a hologram in a glitch. Sen appears before you, tail curving its body into existence, head cocked. What if you didn't have to leave? I don't... I don't understand. I've already gone. Function Jirdi says destiny is a river whose course cannot be altered. But look around you. We change fate every day. N not this one, right? Why not? I have no other choice. You are telling the god of change there is no other choice? There is always another choice, Oka. I don't know how to turn around. I've already left them, I've already walked so far. One of them is gone. That much is true. And you see Ravi's form sort of turn translucent, and I think, like, start to wither off. But her silhouette remains. She's still hanging there. Her ghost clings to your memory, still sits heavy in your soul. But even the ones that are gone aren't really gone. Not forever. And the rest are still here. You can still turn around. Don't I do- I, I would doom them! I would doom all of us if I turned around! Joy does not last forever, but neither does pain. You can leave the ones you love to protect them, and let the course of destiny wash you away. Or, you can change, not just yourself, Oka, but the world. Fate. Don't you think we owe it to the ones we love to try? Why is fighting for your heart, Doom? I don't know. I don't... I haven't had hope in a long time. You don't have to have hope. Oka, because you are hope. You are their hope. You are your sister's hope. You are your mother's hope. Your friend's hope. Your lover's hope. You are Endake's hope. What are you saying? I'm saying that we can choose to change fate, or at the very least try. Don't you want to try? Don't you want this to change? Don't you want to turn around? I do. I, I do. Can you 
Help me. Please. Yes. Yes, I can. And I know someone else who might be able to help you, too. Hold on. This next part is never easy. And then Oka. Crimson. Wipes away all of this white. And you realize what this red is. It's a sky. Eyes span the horizon in endless entropy, wings bristling with white light, and it, that thing, that stranger, taller than the world, radiating vacuous energy like the bottom of a black hole. The ground around you laces into existence, trembling with death and blood. Your armies lie wasted. There is a gash in the earth, an immaculate wound carving the realms open from north to south. It did this. The eight of you stand on the cusp of this chasm, overlooking infinite carnage. There is Ying, golden and cunning, a card twirling between their fingers, Carvach, thunderous, broad, sunshot, strung and ready to fire, Ikaika, tempest aloft, brow set, Juan, their eye on their throat open, omen humming, Jinka, parable twirling, gaze fixed, Pascal, grim, shining in their feathered hands, Bazul, blood running down her face in rivers, sunder gleaming, and... Shuhai, a disc, a circle, a halo, a wheel spinning in their chest, black and white and every color. Time here is slow, so slow that when Shuhai turns their head to meet your gaze, Oka, it feels like everything around you has stopped. And it's just you and Shuhai who can move, who can see each other. <sighs> You're looking out of sorts? What? So are you. What am I? What is this? Where? This is the nightmare again. Why did you bring me here? Your nightmare. My reality. This is it, Oka. This is the battle I was taken from. When I give you prism, when you're ready to accept Sen into your soul, this vision will collapse. I'll return to my time, and you'll become Paragon in yours. How do I know if I'm ready? <laughs> you don't. You just have to go. I want it to be different, Shuhai. I don't want this for us. I don't want this for you, but I... You're too far. You're too far in the past, but... I don't want this for us. I want something else. Oka. <laughs> Never tell anyone I said this, but I was wrong about you. <laughs> you're worthy. I can feel it. Sen can feel it. Okta, and they take a step toward you. What makes us true paragons isn't being chosen by fate, 
It's rising to the choice. It's proving destiny right and wrong. I'm not about to go down without a fight, and neither are you. Give me your hand. And Shuhai reaches out their fingers toward you. And I think before Oka even knows what they're doing, their fingers are also rising like in a mirror version of Shuhai's. At the exact same time. I love it. When you touch, your fingertips merge like reflections in a mirror coming together from alternate dimensions. And in that moment, Oka, you feel linked, not just to the past, not just to Shuhai, but to your own soul. And you understand intimately, immediately, that Shuhai's soul is your soul, is Makoya's, is Oka's, is yours. And I think when Shuhai raises their other hand toward the sky, four fingers curving in and index finger pointing toward the horizon, I think your opposite arm does the exact same thing. And I think you realize instinctually on an atomic level what Shuhai is trying to show you. Oka, this will be the last time you have this vision to you understand me, you and the rest of your other paragons, this nightmare. Once I go back, once this loop ends, once I return, there will be nothing stopping the stranger from coming into your world. Do you understand that? It could come at any time, and you need to be ready. We're ready. We are. You are the final paragon, Oka. And there is something I need to show you before you leave. You see that over there? And they extend their finger out toward the sky on the horizon and they point at something in the far far distance folded between columns of bristling wings the tessellated patterns of ever roving eyes you see what looks to be a speck an inconsistency an aberration make a perception check with advantage unnatural 20 Oka, I think, I think it has a body, a true form, a heartless heart. We were never able to hit it. Not really. It was here and then gone. And by the time we figured this out, Oka, it's too late for us. It leaves, but you can do it. You can break its heart. I can. I will. We will. Good. Then one more thing before we say goodbye. You can feel what I'm trying to do, or can't you? Uh, and Shuhai is starting to splay their fingers open on their opposite hand, right? Uh, and they're like angling their arms so it goes directly above their head. And I think your opposite arm does the same thing. Like you're both reaching toward the sky directly above the chasm. And I think you, I think in that moment, atomically, you understand what Shuhai is trying to do. And as both of you lift your arms up, and I think in like inverted motion, it's like you're prying, you're like prying something apart with like the two of your opposite arms going up, like 
Your hands drift in diametrically opposed directions, and in the sky we see a parcel of that crimson parting and a star forming. Okay, Oka. And you can feel this vision starting to destabilize, right? You can see time starting to move again. You see like Ikaika starting to surge forward. You see Omen starting to ripple, like the strings of the Gutian starting to vibrate, like time is speeding up and Shuhai is leaving you. Like the point of connection between your interlocked fingers are starting to warp away from each other. Oka, take Prism and take Sen. Thank you. And Oka, why am I crying? What is happening? Oka surges forward and hugs Shuhai as tight as they can. And as you hug, that halo in Shuhai's chest spins and spins and spins and joins the two of your souls together. Lacing forward towards your sternum, floating towards you, enters your body. And what happens next? It's like before when time falls apart and this just kind of melts away back into that empty space where they had been just a second ago walking. Weren't they? They were just walking. They don't quite know where they were walking to. And they pause and the loose hair behind their head starts to pull itself back, each strand pulling one over the other, over the other, over the other, as their hair starts to braid itself, and they get swallowed up by light as they have their Magical Girl transformation. Magical Girl is an ungendered term. It's a Magical Girl transformation. As their hair, which was again, like kind of flowing out around them, pulls itself back into a perfect, long, whip-like braid that brushes the end of the ground. Tight, perfect, beautiful, immaculate. And their clothes kind of shift over their skin, over their body, these long black and blue robes shimmering into existence up from the ground, this long talbird, these thin strands of inky darkness and silver thread knitting themselves together over their body and out of their sternum silver plated bone begins to form like a rib cage on the outside of their body somewhere between a corset and a breastplate the bone turned completely silver, thick and beautiful. Beneath that, the silver gorget with blue gems hanging off of the ends, forming a window with a black cloth underneath to reveal that perfect collapse of scar tissue at the center of their chest, the bright scarring under their pectoral muscles. And then suddenly, in a burst of blood and bone and feather, wings, four of them, two from each side, some from the bottom of their ribcage out to new, smaller wings, four in total, beat once, stretch, expand, endless, 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 
and that disc pressed into their chest rises up behind their head, pulled in and out and through them blood, a halo of blood. Ever-changing, never-ending, eight concentric circles like clockwork pieces formed behind their head, turning, 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 the liquid flowing like the river of fate. Eight perfect halos in one. And Oka closes their eyes and lets Sen in. <sighs> Fuck! Oh my god. And Oka, the last thing you hear and feel as you close your eyes is Shuhai speaking to you, their voice layered over with Sen's. If you can change, Oka, then anything can. And when you open your eyes again, there is a blinding, multicolored whirlwind of light that then fades. And then Sitlali, Vaska, and Dewey, in the center of the sky, we see Oka Hien, paragon of Sen, floating above the crumbled pagoda like a ray of hope, crystallized in humanoid form. And Oka, from your brilliant vantage point, you see Kinongbo, all of it, sprawling in thick steps of green and shadow. You see something else, too. Shuhai had mentioned the chaos of timelines cohering, and now that they're gone, back in their past, you see it. Trees flitting, glitching, between seasons, bare branches sprouting, leaves, canopies blooming, ice melting, the very sky around all of you begins to pulse. Brightening, dimming, brightening, dimming, a montage of 320 days flashing past in heartbeats. The weather clenches, rain pours suddenly with no warning, drenching the earth and then stops, and then light shines, heat beams down, a gale force wind blows, then dies, over and over and over, under the flashing light of this unstable sky, and amidst all this chaos, Oka, amidst all of this panic and conundrum, the final, thrumming, swirling vestige of the aspect, blankets the horizon behind you. Its massive central eye with its star-shaped pupil fanning out is fixed not on the flashing lights, not on the grass growing and withering and growing and withering, but on you. Oka, what do you do? Oka, I don't even think they're flying. I think they're just kind of hovering there. And they let themselves be lowered to the ground, gently, gently, gently. This kind of like little gust of wind puffing up on the dirt as they step one foot, then another on the ground, focused, whole. And they look at the aspect and they say quietly, just to themselves, in another time, but not this one. 
and I want to find a pinpoint on the connection of their blood tether that they have in the aspect. And I want to spin that baby back to its timeline. Like a, <laughs> like, like a black hole pinpoint, suck it back through time and space and close Shuhai's portal. You fucking do it. Uh, the, the star-shaped people starts to spin. And at first it's almost like it's looking in every direction, but then you realize it's trying to escape uh, from the own tethers of its outline, but it can't. As I think you just sort of focus upon it and we see like almost imperceptible, a tiny void black hole warping open in the depths of its crimson murk, just spinning, spinning, spinning like the eye of a storm and the pupil starts to rotate around it, caught within its gravitational force. Like the pupil swirls and you see the outlines of red collapse inward, like literally like it's imploding and folding in on itself. And as we see bits of its outlines get dragged in, like paint swirling down a sink, the last thing to go is that star-shaped pupil that like vibrates and vibrates, it like pulls forward actually. And we see like from like a profile view that star pupil shoot down, I think from the horizon toward you, like it's elongating out of a television screen. And it's like, like trying to get to your face. And, it, but it's like being sucked backward at the exact same time. There's a moment where I think this massive star, <laughs> the size of a small planetary body, is, I think, in front of you, dwarfing you, looking down upon you, casting a massive, vacuous shadow upon your face. And what is the last thing you say to it before it's sucked back to its own time? I think the halo of blood, all of these, like, circles are spinning in the same, like, rotation as the, like, black hole is at the same time, as it's getting sucked away, sucked away, sucked away. And I think it it's almost, like, creaking, like it's pulling on itself. And then it finally clicks into place, and Oka just mutters, get fucked. <laughs> it rubber bands back toward the sky and vanishes. Like, the sky twists concentrically, and then the crimson is no more. It's all gone. And when this final piece of the aspect, I think, disappears, inverts upon itself in a flutter of entropic dust, at the exact same time, all of you feel a sensation like vertigo, fluttering, breathless, a jerk of your hearts down into your stomachs, and then you are here, fully, in the now, the present. Oka, you feel it intuitively. You know the exact time. It's 4.06 AT, 2.32 AM, bare 34. Darkness stabilizes over the entire sky, and the weather at last decides on winter. The final straggling leaves of autumn tremble toward ice-packed earth. I think it drifts past your visage, Oka, these autumn leaves turning into winter petals that just cake the ground around your feet. And your eyes, Oga, are the first ones, I think, that we see. One is pure blue with two pupils. And what does the other look like? Oga turns, I think, this like all settling down on them. They pivot back to face everyone else. And they open their eyes. They have both of their eyes 
it's the same for the last time. Because the next time they blink, they open their eyes. One of their eyes is humanoid, blue with a little bit of inkling brown in it. And they blink again, and then it's pink. And they blink again, and it's a bird-like eye, yellow, bright, like a pigeon. They blink again, and a serpentine eye, uh, the brightest, brightest blue. They blink again, a cat's eye. Blink again, one familiar golden eye. They blink again, and every time they blink, they are wearing someone else's eye. That is dope as fuck. Oh God, and Oka, as you turn to face the rest of your friends and you blink, I think your gaze, before any of you can say anything, actually, I think your gaze is attracted to something on the Western horizon. It's just darkness, right? The cataclysm has happened. Kinongbo has caught up with the actual timeline. It is back to 406 AT. The stars are gone. The stars are gone? There is a star, a single star in the sky on the western horizon, shining directly above where you and Shuhai wrenched open a piece of the atmosphere in your vision, directly above a part of the Euclid chasm. And Oka kind of stands there for a moment, and I think as time kind of finally clicks back into the place. They turn and their eyes like fall and catch each person. The ground around them, the snow kind of melts and then these little sprouts kind of come up, grow up their legs for half a moment before they turn orange, wither, and die. And from that soil where they stand, another few sprouts come up in this constant cycle. We... I think we... I think we did it. Have a question. Did we just speed run through time, all of us? Yep. Have we changed physically? Oh, I'll let you all decide. Oh, I think it's more interesting if you did, actually. It's like a year passes on your bodies, let's say. Bosca's hair is longer. <gasps> Mommy? Uh <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> if it wouldn't fuck up the overlay, I would leave this call. I will leave this call. <laughs> oh my. Yeah, real mommy energy happening <laughs> up in here. Um, her hair, um, that the undercut's still there. It hasn't grown out fully. It's still significantly shorter from the rest of her hair, but the top has grown longer, closer to. Uh, the length of her neck as this white hair tinged in flecks of snow is longer and now the iciness is more visible because the hair is indeed more visible and I think she looks at Yoka and she says you did it Paragon ship looks fine on you I feel kind of heavy like there's some kind of weight in my chest you will get used to it, I promise. And Oka surges forward and hugs the person closest to them. Oka, 
You surge forward and you throw your arms around Dr. Eluso. Huh. Uh, Oka. Oka, congratulations. I'm so proud. You, you did it. You, you. And Oka, when your eyes flick up to look into Hitsagaten's face, you see that a year has passed for them as well. Their hair, their hair is brown now. Dark brown. It's still, I think, like the same length, interestingly enough, but it's like the brown that's like started at their roots and tinted all the way down has like expanded. And their eyes are also brown. They're not blue anymore. They're a dark brown. Your, you, you, your hair. My, huh? Your hair. It's braided. It looks great. Did you do that while you were in the light? I, well, no, oh, it's magical. Yes, of course. But, huh? Your hair is brown again. Fully brown again. Um, it looks good. Oh. Oh, thank you. I, really? I, and they like sort of flick their wrists and conjure up a mirror, uh, like a flat blue surface and they look at themselves. Oh, oh, my eyes. That, huh, huh. Well, I guess, I guess it has technically been a year that I've spent away from the chasm. <sighs> Will you look at that? I guess we've both changed. I guess all of us have changed. And Oka's eyes move over to like Mercy and Sitlali. And they also just kind of come like full speed ahead, no bars holds, uh, and like practically pick Sitlali up in a huge hug and like spin her once, you know, at least. Sitlali is tall again. Uh <laughs> So Lodley gets to be fucking more than five foot two. Nothing wrong with being five foot two. They are six foot? Six foot. And it's unclear if the change is, I mean, they still have all of the keeper change, I think. But on top of that, it's hard to tell if it's the changeling gender euphoria of it all or time. But um, both sides of their head are shaved. I think. And they've just got this kind of like, what's left is this like long mane of that pastel curls. Um, and I think they might have a little bit of pastel peach fuzz happening. Like a little bit, a little bit, a little baby bit. And as you pick them up and twirl them, they just look down at you and say, I told you you'd be amazing. How did you, you're, hold on. You were not that tall when I picked you up just now. What's that? <laughs> you did it, Salami. I mean. You did. Send it. Really? What does that mean? And I think those ghostly wings kind of extend again. That swirl like alcohol ink behind her. I'm their keeper? So, like a second, sort of. I think One second, so. if you like. <laughs> uh, Vaska, your hair is longer, uh, and Oka, I think, also like kind of like turns like an excited dog, like greeting everyone at a party, uh, and they kind of hesitate for a moment in front of Vaska, like waver just a little bit. I think like Vaska like didn't notice that hair grew longer until it like the wind, the ambient wind of King Nambo like blows it right in front of their face and they're like pushing it back because it's been so long since that's been a thing and turned to you. 
Yes? It's, uh, it's... I will figure this out, I think. Uh, as, as she kind of, like, really bashfully, like, tucks it behind her ear. I can cut it for you if you want. I kind of do that for anyone, uh, of my friends. I think Voska, hearing you call her a friend, raises an eyebrow, like a knowing one, and opens up her arms and pulls you in for a hug. And whispers in your ear, No, uh, I think I'll keep it. Um, and I think as Oka gets hugged this time, something like kind of folds and crumples against their chest in a weird way. Um, what is that? And they reach into their robes and pull out a letter. I, uh, they like kind of turn it over in their hands. There is an address C. Vosca, you recognize the handwriting immediately. It's Atalanta's. And the letter is addressed simply to Vosca. I think this is yours. I don't- I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to steal your mail. Um, I did not have- these are not my clothes. I'm sorry. Um, I, I think Vosca's just stunned silent because Val is stunned silent? I don't know what- huh? Um, v- v- Vosca kind of like looks at this she goes, I- where did you- how did you get this? I- these are god clothes. I don't know where they come from. May I? It's from Sen. I mean, it's for you. So, and Oka holds it out. I think Vasca, like, hands shaking, like, kind of not really understanding how this is happening, picks it up and and looks at it. Vasca, when you touch the letter, you feel like magical energy, warm and soft, like a sea breeze, cascade up your fingers. And I think you understand intimately that this letter is linked to that moment, I think, in the time fracture where you saw Atalanta in the past. So this, this is a letter spun out of time, penned by Atalanta before she died. I'm gonna make freaking lose my shit, the both of you. Oh, do you read it? (laughs) Yes. Yes, I do. It's a single sheet of paper, royal parchment. You recognize it quite immediately, befitting of a champion. And there's a seal, I think, that you break carefully. Seal of when Atalanta reigned as champion. And as you unfold it, you see written in Atalanta's, I think, bold, no-nonsense script. Songbird. Words... We're always your domain. Never mind, so forgive my clumsiness. First, I love you. Second, do not blame yourself for what will happen. Death comes for all of us in the end. I go the way I was always supposed to go, fighting for what's right. My only regret is you weren't there. Selfishly, I'm glad I went first so that I won't ever have to live a day without you. Please forgive me for this. 
Speaking of which, between us, Vasca, for me, toward you, there is nothing to forgive. Do not despair, my darling. Protect Andake. She needs you now. Third, I love you, I love you, I love you. I will see you soon. But until then, I'll keep the home fires burning. Atalanta. Oh, fuck you, Connie. <laughs> I think Vasca, like, her hands tighten around this sheet of parchment, crumpling it on its sides. You can hear the sound of the paper straining within her grip, and a tear falls onto the parchment, forming ice as soon as it hits the paper, not to ever damage it and tears of hail pour from her eyes and she places the letter close to her chest and looks up at Oka thank you thank you and Oka smiles kind of sadly and softly and reaches up takes both of Vasca's cheeks in their hand smiles and then leans in and hugs her again she reciprocates the hug and I think like kind of like buries her head in the nook of your neck and exhales comforted at last and Oka pulls away after a second lets you be and they turn to Dewey and I think they're kind of like sort of far away, but almost a year later, both of them so different. And Oka just kind of looks at Dewey for a really, really long time. And then they crack this sort of half broken smile, like they've forgotten how to do it and they're learning again for the first time. And they go, pretty good for a couple of monsters, huh? Pretty good, kid. You did it? And they flex, like, all four of their wings, their eye, like, changing in this odd... I think it's slightly unnerving that every time they blink, someone else's eye is looking back, you know? But they just let that speak for itself. Even if we're still monsters, if, uh, we're very different than the ones we were a year ago, huh? Maybe monster's not such a bad thing to be. Sorry, Mercy. I'm sorry, I've just... Huh! Mercy this entire time has been shell-shocked <laughs> because her, her hair, I think her side part has like grown out. So she looks like kind of like a shaggy dog, like unshaven, like a hat, mullet. Like it, it's not good. It's not good. And like her hair has like exploded out of her ponytail and it's sort of like cascading thickly, I think, down her shoulders. Like her hair grows very fast and she's like staring at you with this like wild look in her face. Okay, you, you. Fucking, uh, you did it! Great fucking eight! A great fucking eight, you need a haircut really bad. Huh? Shit. Fucking come here, you fucking- As she like moves in and like hugs you and picks you up off the ground. And like squeezes you really, really, really tight and like swings you around in her grasp. 
In her grasp? Oh, mercy! And I think, like, Oka's wings are, like, splayed at this really weird angle, like, in her, like, the four just kind of poking out in random places. And they, like, beat one of them to try to get her off. Oh, I'm so proud of you, kid. Fuck. Gods, if Ravi could see you. you crying? Because Ravi's fucking looking down on us, you goddamn slut. And I think Oka starts laughing and starts crying, both in the same point and time, and they just let Mercy spin them around. And you go round and round and round. And when Mercy finally sets you down again, Oka, I think that's when all of you hear voices drifting up from the hill. Uh, You also hear, I think, applause, shouting, screaming, cheering, laughter, music, as fireworks like sort of crack and pop open, I think shoot up from the base of the hill and explode in these blooming flowers across the night sky as the people of Kinongbo begin to notice the star on the horizon as well. But the voices that draw your attention are quite familiar. One of them is high and elegant, restrained and composed, like a traditional melody. Now, now, Ding Tian, let's do this judiciously, yes? (laughs) Fuck judicious, I just have to get it out my mouth and into word space, okay? Just shut up, Zephyr. And pulling up short... I think at the edge of the pagoda's fenced-in area, we see the former Prince Moore and Zephyr, flanked by no fewer than like a dozen royal guards. <laughs> like royal hunters are accompanying them as well. And I think the two of them stop abruptly when they see you, Oka, and when Zephyr's eye lands on you, Dewey. Your hair is, uh, <clears throat> your hair looks ugly. Ting Tian. I mean, okay, old habits die hard, okay? So I guess you, uh, I guess you saved everything and everyone, huh? Just like you said you were gonna do? Yeah, your hair looks ugly too. Uh, And Oka says it with a little smile in the corner of their mouth still. (sighs) Yeah, well, I, uh, okay, that's uh, great. I'm just gonna go back. I'm gonna go back home. I'm gonna go back to outside. Mm-hmm. And Ding Xin starts to turn around, but Zephyr holds out a wing and stops him. And he sort of, <clears throat> like, his dragonborn form braces against that arm, his back turned to you. You see his, like, shoulders tense and rise up toward his ears. <sighs> and then they lower. Fuck. And he turns around to face you, Oka. But this time, there's a look on his face that is neither anger, nor resentment, nor depression, nor someone who's, like, at the very bottom of a barrel and can't see the sun. He looks... he looks... remorseful? Alright, fine. I'm only saying this because Zephyr's making me say it, and I guess it's the right thing to say, or do, or whatever the fuck. Oka, listen. When the cataclysm happened for real, like, for the last time, this time, I, uh, I... And as Xing Tian speaks, we push in on his face, and we see from his perspective, and the perspective of all Kinongbo, what happened when the cataclysm occurred for the final time. Because when the cataclysm comes, Xing Tian knows there's something wrong. It's not the screaming, not the panic, 
not the nobles scattering like marbles against a playmat that sets him off. Darkness swallows the garden party. Fear ripples through the crowd, a barely restrained terror swelling up against the confines of decorum. That much for Jingxian is old news, but this time, the fear holds. The blackness of the sky remains. The stars don't leap back. The laughter doesn't return. Jingxian doesn't find himself in the same dusty tavern he always does when the wheel of time turns back. Instead, here comes the snapping. And then the quakes. And then the party is plunged into full-bodied terror. The last vestige of dignity snaps like the strings of the weave, and the hounds of chaos tear loose. Shrieks pierce the night, confused bodies trample past, and Dingtian shrinks into his seat, his heart pounding, his eyes wide, cowering underneath the shogi table. And then he hears his voice. High and commanding, restrained even now, cutting through this miasma of panic. Zephyr, in regal jukan, in the highest mode of address, is saying, Nobles of Kinogbo, calm yourselves. There is an explanation for this. Please, everyone, stop running. Let us gather and speak. But no one's listening. Zephyr's level-headed entreatments are whelmed by a tidal wave of fear. Another quake rocks the party. People scream, something huge and unseen topples and smashes, and Zephyr stays calm, keeps shouting, but it's not working. And every passing second, his voice sounds smaller and smaller, and the fear gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and underneath the shogi table, Ding Tian hugs his knees to his chest. He rocks back and forth, his eyes trained on the shadowy ground, sweat curling down his spine. He squeezes his eyes shut, grits his teeth, thinks about his half-sibling. <sighs> Fuck! And Ding Tian scrambles out from underneath the table, shaking his head and muttering, fuck, 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 fuck. The entire time he clambers on top of the shogi tiles, takes in a deep breath and bellows with every ounce of obnoxious, impudent, royal brattiness he has ever mustered. Everyone, calm the fuck down. And it works. The panic freezes. Nobles pause, eyes turn upon him, even as the world implodes around Kinongbo. Uh, <clears throat> this is... this is the cataclysm, okay? It's happened before. We've been through this. I've been through this. Don't you remember? Come on, everyone. We've been stuck inside a loop. It's the same four hours over and over and over again. But it does end... Okay, the cataclysm does end. This isn't forever. A year, a year passes. Things change. Uh, Lady Anion, you end up seeking refuge in Tulong. My mother, my mother, Mo Guilian, she welcomes you in before we are, before we're banished. Uh, Head Tanaka, your estate is obliterated in the fallout here, okay? You lose everything, so stop 
grabbing your chips, they mean nothing after this night, okay? And Zephyr, my best friend, you, uh, you, you die here, okay? You don't, um, you don't make it out. Uh, no one ever finds your body. Silence. And that's when an eye above the pagoda in the near distance opens. People gasp, and before panic can take hold again, uh, it'll, uh, it'll be different this time, okay? We'll, uh, we'll make different choices. Uh, we can change. I can change. R right? Right? The prince is right. Nobles, we have a duty to Kanongbu now, don't we? If we want to lead, we must lead. Lady Enyan, Lord Satsuki, Liege Ao, get the people out of the capital expeditiously. And on that, we cut back to the present, onto the face of an anxious, embarrassed, self-conscious Dingtian, wringing his hands in front of his half-sibling as he finishes telling his story of what happened from his end. Yeah, you always did kind of have a loud, obnoxious voice. Shut up! Okay, it came in handy, I guess. And that's- the voice is the point, okay? I just- all these loops, even before you and your little adventuring party or whatever got here, I- uh, I try to get up here, okay? First few times I tried- I tried to be a hero. Like you, or whatever. But it didn't work, okay? I just- I got too scared, or I wouldn't make it on time, and then I just- I just- I gave up. Okay? It got too hard, so I, I gave up. But I knew, I don't know, I guess I knew you were fighting, and I hate that you're better than me at this. I hate that. So, um, I guess I just wanted to, I don't know, be different. The only reason I'm here is because I wanted to be different. I've just been doing what I thought was right. Like you did. <clears throat> yeah, well, uh... Well, um, <clears throat> uh, most of the civilians have been evacuated. Thankfully, there were no casualties during the cataclysm this time around. However, a lot of the quakes did topple various residences. People will be displaced. But for now, order holds. I, <clears throat> yeah, okay, whatever, I guess. <clears throat> so, uh, are we, um, you still hate me? Because I haven't decided if I still hate you. Every day we can wake up and make different choices. How about today? Uh, today I feel kind of... Today I feel kind of lucky to have an older brother. Tomorrow, who knows? So, yeah, um, um, who knows about tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. you little shit. <clears throat> you... Mm. Thanks. I, uh, I guess you're a fine secondborn or whatever. Trueborn. All right, you ruined it. <clears throat> okay, bye. <clears throat> and Tintin <laughs> is gonna turn very awkwardly. I think Tail sort of lashing behind him and start to stalk back down the hill. And Oko watches him go, and turns to Zephyr and inclines their head very gratefully. Thank you for whatever the fuck that just was. <laughs> I told him he should open up about his feelings toward you and toward everyone else. Tintin's always been very good at bottling up his true feelings, but letting his anger lash out at everyone else. Runs in the family. Hmm. 
Well, I'm going to help with the civilian effort. There are quite a few administrative duties to attend to. The capital will be in a state of disorder until Lord Oju returns. Can I trust all of you to stay here and help pick up the pieces until that happens? Yeah. Lord Henka Oju should be here soon, I hope. Well, in the meantime, please, why don't all of you rest? Voska, in the three days that pass before Lord Henka Oju returns to Kinongbo, how do you spend your time? She spends her time working um, and helping out as many as she could, if not by her magics, then at least keeping morale up. A tragedy like this, the we may have experienced the cataclysm. Folks might remember that the cataclysm happened, but the trauma is still trauma. And perhaps if a song or story or a dance can help alleviate it, she's more than happy to do so. So that's how she spends her time. And in the quiet moments between all of those things, I think she sits by a quiet place, probably close to a body of water, and plays her flute. Uh, And right by her side is an opened notebook journal with a story written titled The Banded Crate and the Tiger. I think we find you by a gurgling brook in, I think, one of the various lavish gardens of a royal courtyard that all of you have been invited to stay in after, you know, literally saving Kinongbo from the stagnation. And the smell, I think, of like winter flowers drifts through the air. There's like a light rhyming of frost on the boulders that cobble throughout this space. And your flute music is the only melody that drifts along the wind. And then you hear a heavy bootstep crunch through fallen leaves behind you. Not very subtle at all. Vosca immediately knows who this is. And like, whereas before that person's presence might abruptly uh, cause her to like mess a note or anything, she finds a calm way of closing out the, the tune and releases the flute from her lips and says nothing so that they might have the chance to speak first, but her eyes are already lingering over her shoulder to hear a potential greeting. And Mercy, scratching the back of her freshly shaved head, she like immediately took to her overgrown sides with a razor like as soon as like the previous scene ended, sort of <clears throat> clears her throat and goes, so uh, you're, good at, uh, you're good at flute stuff too, huh? Not just the zither, any other instruments you can play? Bagpipes? That's undignified. Are you good at bagpipes? <laughs> uh, what is that? What's that noise giggling. you're making? What is that? Are you laughing? And she she turns around. She's laughing. Her flute in her right hand and and uh, her hand over her lips. <laughs> she's laughing. <laughs> no, I don't think I've ever heard you laugh, much less at something I said ever before, like ever. I promise there are occasions, and it's been a long time. Um, no, I don't play the bagpipes. Um, they're a little heavy to hold, in all honesty. They're the only instrument I know how to play, so... 
Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> yeah, they're kind of big and loud, right? And people only really play them at funerals. It's a whole thing, so I never really get the chance to show off. You know, everyone likes it when people bust out a zither or a veal, you know, at a party, but when he busts out the bagpipes, it's kind of a downer, you know? Mind if I sit just... here? Uh, yes, go on ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. What were you going to say? I'm just going to pop a squat right here. I was going to say that perhaps you need to find other occasions to, how you say it, bust that out. <laughs> wow, that is so weird hearing you say that, Vasca. You are like, it, I know you're younger yes. than me, but it feels like you're older, but also a lot younger, but also a lot older. Know what I mean? I have been told that, yes. Not quite in so few words, but yes. And she kind of like sits, adjusts herself and like puts her flute back on her lap and leaves, leaves the notebook there and kind of like readjusts her seating to like face mercy. What's, um, <clears throat> what's a crate? It is a type of serpent. A snake. Black. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Galtanger's middle finger is what I call him. Sometimes they get really big in the Badlands, you know, because there's gold on them. Yes. I don't know. They're yes. like, I don't really care about their proper scientific names or whatever, but I do know that their venom is potent, can kill a grown man in like, with like a single teaspoon. That's certainly true. And I think her voice lowers and uh, as, as she thinks on that, and there is a passage in the bandit crate and the tiger where it talks about the potency of the crate's poison listen um all right i'm just gonna get this out of the way uh so when we were inside the time fracture thing things got a little weird uh like it's really weird it. yeah Such like who that is why I do not fuck with magic. That's why my second is the magic person. I do not like how magic makes me feel. I just wanted to say, I know I kind of said it during the fight, but it, you know, we were sort of in like a life or death situation. So, you know, uh, now that we're all calm, I just wanted to tell you, Vasca, that, uh, look, I, I, I genuinely am sorry for being a dick. Okay, I know, I know I've been a dick at you ever since we started traveling together. And you didn't really um, deserve that. It was, like I said, it was misplaced anger at uh, losing Atalanta. And frankly, it wasn't even about Atalanta. I mean, it was, obviously it was, but it's about everyone I've ever lost and feeling like a piece of shit, you know, that I couldn't save him. So, yeah. I think Vasca like just listens very patiently to all of that, letting Mercy finish, even though there are multiple times where you see her purse lips open to like maybe intercept mercy but holds back i also wish to apologize on bacchanalia beach one i should not have been there it was not my place but i should have said more i knew alan overstepped and I did not show you the kindness that you deserved to have been shown in that moment. I'm sorry. <sighs> you don't have to apologize for that, Vasca. It's fine. People have called me worse. Believe me, 
I mean, that was pretty bad, but it, 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 I, I've weathered worse. But uh, you know what? Uh, fine. Th you know what? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate the gesture. It's nice. Thank you. Fuck. You're just too nice. Too nice. But you're also really cold. But you're also not. I don't know. You're weird. You're like full of dimensionality, <laughs> I guess. Perhaps I'm just a person then, Mercy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. I guess I get weird when people are paragons because Oka and... Ravi got fucked up by a god shard, and it's a whole thing. I mean, so did Atalanta, kind of. I mean, bloodthirst. Well, you know, I'm not gonna, we don't have to talk about that. Um, yeah, uh, well, I guess um, we're good. We good? You good? No, we're good. Mostly we are. Good. And she kind of, uh, kind of like picks up that piece of the, of the journal and like puts it on top of her lap. Can I play you something? Oh my gods. Oh gods. Am I ready for this? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, hit me, hit me. Do it. And Vasca plays the first draft iteration of the Bandit Crate and the Tiger. And it opens on this visual of a tiger. It's beautiful orange fur and black stripes glowing in the dappled sun rays of a forest and coming upon a banded crate curled up and singing in the forest. And in that moment, their eyes lock and there's something that is shared between the two of them. And from then on, the tiger and the crate are inseparable. They are together always. The crate hovering around the tiger's neck, the tiger proud and courageous, the ruler of its domain. One night, the crate has a nightmare. She dreams that her poison shall one day hurt the tiger, her venom so potent that it will take the most precious person away from her. So the crate left the tiger hoping that with distance that venom will find no way to to the tiger but one day the tiger faces a great foe a grand cobra and as the fight goes on the cobra snags a bite upon the tiger's neck but it isn't the venom of the cobra that kills that tiger, it is the crate. Because if the crate had not left, the tiger wouldn't have felt such great need to protect the wolf, the eagle, the lion that awaited her at her domain as they hovered around a dying tiger. And her venom pools towards the river and the crate and the tiger will want hopefully it ends on like a hopeful note that perhaps the crate and the tiger shall meet again and perhaps the venom won't keep them apart anymore as you finish your song you see that mercy is crying She's like sitting on a boulder, looking out at the stream, not looking at you, but she's like fully crying, just sort of staring, but her face is impassive, kind of, like she's just nodding and tears are streaming down her cheeks. 
<clears throat> yeah, uh, well, uh, two things, um, one, wasn't your fucking fault, Vasca. okay? She made her choices. She was a smart woman, strong. She made a decision. She stuck by it. I truly believe that the way she died, though I- too soon. She went out swinging, Vasca. That's how she would have wanted to go. So, uh, don't beat yourself up too bad about that, okay, buddy? It's, uh, not your fault. Second thing, um, <clears throat> the, uh, the North Talmadi Pine Snake is the only snake with vocal cords, so Bandit Creek can't sing. Just so you know, it's kind of inconsistent scientifically, so... <clears throat> <laughs> I think Vasca like nods like solemnly at first and then just breaks out to a giggle again. She's like, well, I'll add that to my third revision. Maybe I'll make this a little happier that they will meet again. Yeah, well, writing is rewriting, right? It's what she cut used to always say. She stands up and kind of slaps you on the back. Once Mercy slaps, like, her back, like, in a friendly manner, she'll say, Thank you, Mercy. You are very welcome. All right, uh, see you around, I guess. <clears throat> and she starts to turn to leave. But before she exits, she pauses at the threshold of the grove and turns to look at you. You are deeply, very much still in love with Atalanta. I mean, that much is obvious, so I'm not going to ask. But uh, you're, you're, like, you're monogamous, right? Uh, um, yes, 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 I am. All right, never mind. I think, right. I think Vasco was, was like surprised to ask this questioner. So she, so her face was like, um, uh, yes, yes, I, I, I am. Cool. Great. Okay, then never mind. Uh, yeah, all right, bye. Yes, see you around. <clears throat> <laughs> Insight check. I want to know what the fuck that was about. You know what the fuck that was about. <laughs> you know what the Vasca fuck that was about. doesn't. Okay, make an insight check. The dice say you will not know because I rolled a three. Uh, <laughs> with, uh, hold on, I've got a massive plus to my insight. Oh, actually, 15 plus three, that's uh, 18. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I guess the lowest you could roll would be a 16 on insight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my God. Yeah, she was uh, gauging gauging your romantic availability. Uh, but <laughs> that is very it's... sweet. Bosco's just like that is very sweet. Continues playing the flute. <laughs> and I think we're gonna pan away from you, Vasca, right on that scene, and head over to speaking of Mercy's love, Sitlali. Sitlali, how do you spend these three days in advance of Lord Oju returning? I think Sitlali is in cleric mode a little bit, running around doing some healing, creating food and water where there isn't any anymore. Um, I think that they are very excited to have their changeling magic back, so she goes through a couple of phases and like can't decide if they want to be tall or short and like keeps running into like tries using mercy's javelin as a cane when she's taller and is like this is not sustainable i can't deal with this so ends up going with like the the size that her cane is sized for which is five two but she's like mad about it like a little visibly grouchy about it um keeps the side shave though um is a fan of that 
but yeah, just doing whatever magic healing control that they can do. Um, keeping very busy and very fucking tired, I think. Very fucking tired. And I think, because the pagoda got sliced in half, right? Yeah, it did. It got sliced yeah. in half, like a bamboo stalk. Yeah. Um, I think Sitlali has nothing for that. Um, but I think that might be where Mercy finds them. Uh, just kind of like sitting and staring up at this half of a building, being like, how the fuck are we gonna, can we, can Dewey, is Dewey, is Dewey, is Dewey, is Dewey an architect? What is Dewey? Like realizing that like, <laughs> try, like white woman math meme, but like not good at it. And also a little, definitely sleep deprived. I think as you're sitting on the grass, looking up at this halfway sliced tower, you hear Mercy approaching. Hey, I uh, brought you some tea, the gentle variety. I think I burned it though. I don't know how you can burn water, but I did it. Um, here you go. I think it should still, it's, it's, got, it's got a potent blend of cardamom and of scorched bits. So here you go. And I also got you some stuff on, you know, just around here in Jukai. Some berries, some fish. It's not the water that burns, it's the leaves. From what Gentle taught me. Oh yeah, okay, then don't drink that. Here's some regular water instead. And Mercy like sits down next to you with like a little platter of snacks that she's gathered from Kinongbo. You know, I'm trying to, you know, get a hang of the culture here. It's very like hunting and gathering. So I try to gather some things from the market with my money. And uh, I hunted some berries with my fists from bushes. So here you go. I'm pretty sure they were like private residential gardens though. So I think Salali just pulls her in for a kiss. Mm. She's like, this is, this is my thimbo and I will like it that way. Uh, <laughs> Um, so are you sure the berries you stole are the edible kind? Did you double check? Nobles, like, they, they like the, the deadly stuff because they think it's pretty. Because it is, but... Okay, and Mercy actually takes, like, half of the tray away <laughs> and the tea. So it's just, like, some sad-looking fish and water for you. I got you some fish and water. Oh, surf... And surf, right? The water and the fish. Here you go. Very gourmet. You're very Eat sweet. your heart out, Shriyang. And I think Sibali stares off into the middle distance, thinking about that inevitable revenge that they will get. Sibali uh, <laughs> laughs and eats the fish. Like, you're, uh, you look, I mean, you're all keepered now. You look great. I mean, the hair, the everything. How does it feel? I don't really know if that makes sense. It's it's like being second, I guess, in a mm. way, Oka mm. said. Um, it just kind of makes sense. Makes sense. I knew you were going to do that. Yeah, that I know. I'm sorry. Mouth. I'm sorry, my love. I, I, you gave it to me. I, I, I had to do it. I don't. Low hanging fruit. Sorry. 
I don't think, yeah. <laughs> like your low-hanging fruit. I do, I do. Well, good. I'm glad it feels, you know, correct. And it's, it's fine to not know, you know? I don't think Oka knows what being Paragon really means. I don't think any of the Paragons really know what being Paragon really means. You know what I mean? I think we're all just sort of trying our best. Yeah. Do you remember back at the court? Oh, what part? Speaking of the court, that kid, Spider, I mean, we have we literally haven't talked about it uh, until now. I mean, since Karishma and the meeting. Uh, anyway, say your thing about the court. No, no, we can do your thing about, about Spider. I just think that kid looks, you know, that kid that's not, it's not my kid, right? I mean, I would never dare to speculate on the, pri- the, 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 the private life of, of Duchess Starwing, but um, Mercy, I think that's your kid. No, okay, you know what? That's just, that's, I'm sorry. That was a diversion. That was a tangent. Tell me your thing about the court. Let's get back into Mercy, it. Let's get back on topic. Mercy, I think that's your kid. And that makes me that kid's step parent. Yeah, and I don't right? really know. So we don't have to talk about that right now. We can deal with that later. Uh, but just put, 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 put after the world is saved, okay? After the world is saved, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about what that means. Uh, I mean, I guess I would be the step parent if we were married, but that's not a thing we've talked about. And they are going crimson. What? Back to the court. Yes, back to back back in the court. Um, yes. Um, Back in the court, um, I called Rev a lot of things, and I didn't, I didn't say goodbye to Leaf for her, and I feel like I should have. Did I tell you that Leaf is the one who guards my after? I don't think I told you any of that. You didn't. And is there like a moment where you just tell Mercy, like everything you saw in the after, like you explain it, you walk her through it, I think. Yeah. At the end of it, she looks really like her brow is furrowed. She looks deeply contemplative. So every person has a different after. Sorry, I'm getting hung up on the wrong thing. Um. Wow. Hey, listen, listen, Sit Lolly. I'm not a magic person, but I'm sure that magically or not, Leaf could feel, you know, that you love her, and that you're sorry, and all those things. But I also feel like, um, Leaf was wrong about some things, which I, it's, you grow up like I did and learning that the things you've been taught from the day you were born aren't necessarily true is, um, a lot. (laughs) The Raven Queen isn't everything in the world, the weavers. And I've committed so much fucking sacrilege. <laughs> is Rev gonna, do you, do you think Rev is going to um kill you? No, no, I don't think Rev would kill you. Silali, listen, Rev is literally, un- she's literally a fucking zombie, okay? That's, that's the, I don't know much about court, whatever, but I know that sacrilege, all right? I mean, technically, yes, and that is what I called her. Um, but now I have done, how am I different, really, from Rev now? 
<laughs> when you say that, like, Rev's a, Rev's a bad person. You say that like I'm a bad person. You're not a bad person, Sibali. I don't, I don't think you're a bad person. I think, look at, look, fucking look at me, Sibali. <laughs> look at me. I'm not, I'm in a glass house. You know what I mean? Listen. I was never really into religious whatever stuff, you know, growing up like me, raised by monsters, uh, you know, their perception of religion is a little different, I guess. Uh, but what I do know is that the court that you were raised in, based on all the stories you've told me, that's one way of looking at the Raven Queen, right? But uh, obviously if Rev exists and is the paragon chosen by destiny to serve the Raven Queen, I don't think that's the only way of looking at death and life and religion, and what's real and what's not real. Know what I mean? I think at the end of the day, gods and people, we're just, um, we just have our own perspectives. Know what I mean? I suppose. So one person might say that what you did was sacrilege, maybe those hoity-toity Duchess Starwing-like people in the court, but um, other people, like fucking Oka, fucking Oka's entire fucking family full of necromancer doing blood magic up the fucking asshole, like they would just think it's a regular fucking bear. You know what I mean? Another day of the week. I, I think what we did might be a little extreme even for them, but um, I see, I see your point. Desperate times, Sitali. You don't uh, eat your own shoe when you're not starving, right? But I've eaten many a shoe in my life, and uh, I don't judge a man who has to eat some boot leather to get by. And anyone who tries to judge you for eating your boot leather, I think, um, can go fuck themselves. Frankly. I just worry what she'll say, you know? Rev? I mean, do I tell her that I saw Leaf? Do I. I think I she deserves to know. Sit, Lolly. I mean, if you were her, you'd want to know, right? Yeah. But hey, you, uh, you can't control how she's gonna react, right? But what does matter is that you're, uh, you're honest with her, you tell her, and I don't know, she might surprise you with how she responds. I don't know. Or we could have a rematch, I guess. <laughs> Listen, no matter what happens, I'm here for you, okay? And I think Sitlali just kind of, like, leans against Mercy. Okay, but Spider is definitely your kid, though. Yeah, okay, yeah, he definitely is. Uh, and I think the two of you just lean against each other. <laughs> Looking up at the pagoda, right, as, like, the scene fades on that. We swipe away from that scene to find Dewey. Dewey, how have you been spending your three days of freedom before Lord Oju comes back? Uh, Dewey has joined one of the local cleanup crews. Um, you find him wearing a fluorescent yellow vest. Uh, he's got his robe tucked into his pants. Uh, the long ends have been tucked into his uh, cargo shorts. Um, and he's got one of those like long grabby hands. And he's uh, helping with like a cleanup of the rubble around the city. Um, just like to get involved because he feels a little bit bad about all the destruction, but also because um, he he's kind of desperately looking for the cracked gem that was in the middle of Dusty's sword that got, you know, obliterated. But that's what he's been doing for these past couple of days. I think as you're shuffling through the streets, tons of people stop to talk to you. They're all like, oh, like you're the paragon of Galtanger. Like they want to get like your autograph. They want to like speak with you. They want to tell you all their problems. How are you dealing with this? I think it 
it's getting to be a little like the first couple of people he's like oh like sure i'll hear you out but after it got a little bit excessive um and got in the way of him digging through the rubble uh i think he's just taken to being like you must ma- you must have me mistaken for someone else sorry uh i'm just a townsperson uh <laughs> kind of just like pretending it's not him I think we find you, I think maybe back, kind of like backed into a corner by like a kind of imposing looking older uh, centaur woman with kind of like a gray mule-like body. And she's currently in the middle of telling you in like rapid common. And listen, when my last husband left me, it was because, uh, yes, I did cheat on him with several other people, but my current husband is thinking of leaving me too. But it's not because I've been cheating. He's just, he just fears I'm going to be disloyal. So what do you think I should do? don't know how many times I have to tell you I you're not I'm not who you think I am and I have no experience I have no expertise in this area well see that's the problem he doesn't he's not who I thought he was either I'm thinking maybe we should renew our vows Uh, papaya oh oh Lord Zephyr uh and the mule like centaur woman turns around and we see Zephyr striding forward in these like beautiful, deep kind of royal noble robes. And he sort of inclines his regal head toward her and she sort of bows. Uh, might I have a moment with the Paragon of Galtanger? Ah, yeah, yes, certainly, certainly. Yes, of course, my lord. Uh, well, do let me know what you think I should do about my predicament. Uh, all right. And she turns around and sort of clops off. And now it's just you and Zephyr, I think by this alleyway strewn with debris and rubble. Dewey has sort of um, (laughs) unconsciously puffed up a little bit. Uh, He's a little bit flustered and embarrassed to be caught in (laughs) um, this sort of, like not only to be digging through piles of trash basically, um, but also to have been like cornered by this person and not be able to uh, talk his way out of it. It's, uh, It's very kind of you to help clean up our city after the cataclysm. Oh, of course, it's uh, the least I could do after we destroyed the... Well, we didn't destroy the tower and the city, but we kind of kind of did. <laughs> How humble. That is a fascinating invention. And Zephyr gestures at the grabby thing. Oh, it's just a... Uh, here, give it a, give it a try. It's, it's like just something I uh, put together like yesterday. I got oh. tired of digging through it with my hands. Do you mind if I? Yeah. And Zephyr takes the grabby thing with the, with a trigger. Is the end like a pair of hands, or is it like, <laughs> or is it more dignified? Or is it just sort of like two flaps? Yeah, I think they've got like broad, um, sort of like wide blades, uh, just so you can like sift through material with the ed- uh, edges. Sure. He humors it a little bit and like uses it to sift through some material and like picks up, I think, like a, a bit of rubble and like puts it aside. <sighs> well. This is quite useful. Here, you can have it back. And like hands it hands it back to you after like two pieces of rubble have been moved. Thanks. <laughs> uh did you need something from me? I just uh I just wanted to tell you, um well first of all, thank you for being part of the group that helped to restore Kinongbo back to some sense of normalcy. And I just wanted to say, uh well, everyone's memories came back of every single loop that happened. And, uh, wow, we bumped into each other quite often, didn't we? Uh, a couple times. I, sorry if you remember all that. Uh, I'm not sorry. My bad. 
uh, Dewey freezes and then quickly starts like digging through stuff again on the ground. <laughs> I thought it was very um, endearing that you said you were the butt part of Carvach Tarai. I mean, you you said that. <laughs> uh, you suggested that. I was offering you a lifeline in an yes. awkward conversation in which you were clearly floundering. Yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> not an actor, though. Mm. Well, part of having our memories restored also means we have some bit of awareness of what's been happening now. You are, of course, the paragon of Galtanger, uh, Hardu, Dewey, Quirk. You, um... Forgive me for bringing this up, but uh, you're divorced, right? Wait, did I tell you that one of the in one of the loops? No, that... I I heard about it. Uh, from whom? Everyone's talking. Uh, well, there's geez. rumors about how Vaska, the paragon of Nitbuza, used to date the now deceased champion of Nabal, and how the current paragon of Sen, God's bless their soul, was an exiled prince of Tulong, of course. So you, so everyone just reads the tabloids only, huh? I wouldn't say exclusively, but in addition to a healthy diet of other types of media. I am a patron of the arts, of course, but you remember that. I just wanted to say I'm, um, I'm also, I'm also divorced. <laughs> uh, good to know. Um, I, I just mean, uh, hmm, this is rather awkward of me, isn't it? Um, it's, it's nice to know that a paragon is also just a person. That's all I mean. Yeah, uh, well, thanks. It's uh, hard when you saw all the people coming up to me asking me for advice well, that yes. I'm super not qualified to give. <laughs> well, yeah, I figure you will get your fair share of that. People, um, people like hope. People like projecting all of their fears and aspirations onto someone. People like putting other people on pedestals, I think. But um, I won't do that to you. Thanks, I appreciate it. But also, I'm, like, leaving in... No offense, but I'm, like, leaving in three days, so... I... Oh, no, I I know, I know. This, um... Ships in the night, I suppose. But, um, listen. Dewey. Cardu, which do you prefer? Uh, let's go with Dewey. All right, then. Dewey. I, um... I was supposed to die. The first time the Cataclysm came around, I perished in the fallout. This was never supposed to happen to me, but now I'm starting to question if there even is a supposed to. But because of you, Dewey, and your friends, I I was saved. I was given a second chance. All of Kinongo was given a second chance. I, um, I plan to use this second chance with purpose. When we first met, I mentioned uh, grappling with anger issues. That was part of the reason why my uh, previous relationship, my arranged marriage, didn't quite work out. Um, he was, I mean, he had his issues too, but so did I. We just weren't a good fit, and uh, I've tried to work on myself since, and I like to think of the second chance as a chance at, I don't know, redemption? Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. I guess... We have that in common. Looking for you... second chances, redemption, and also we were supposed to die. Uh, 
we'll, we'll see if that one comes true for me. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't. And, uh, Dewey, if I may be so bold, if it doesn't happen, if you and the other paragons end up all right on the other side of fighting for Antake, I know this great tea spot in Kinongbo, and I'd love to take you out sometime. <laughs> and Dewey freezes. <laughs> uh, sh- of course, uh, yeah, I can't make any promises, but I, I think I would love that. <laughs> Great. Oh, and I think you might have been looking for this. And Zephyr reaches into his pouch and pulls out a shattered part of the gem that had been embedded in Dusty Sword and hands it to you. Oh my god, where did you find this? Uh, in a pile of trash. You were digging through it without the use of a grab- a grabby hand? It... For me? Seemed important. Well, uh, thank you, this is... You're a lifesaver, this is, um... My son, but like, it's complicated. Uh... <laughs> well, you'll have it's to tell me son. all about it. Yeah. Well, I figured that piece of... Well, it is a crystal. Um, well, yes, you'll have to tell me all about it. Uh, perhaps... Perhaps you can write me a letter? Just one. Uh, all right. Um, let me, let me get your address. <laughs> and Zephyr gives you his address. Uh, and on the exchange of AOL direct messaging information, uh, we... And Dake online letter writing. That's what it's short for. Uh, We're going to pan over, I think, to Oka. What have you been up to these past three days before Lord Oju arrives? Sleeping. They haven't meant to do it, but Shuhai said that this was the last time we'd see that dream. Do we still have nightmares every night? You do not. Dewey and Voska and Oka, the three of you are no longer plagued by that recurring nightmare. It ends. That was the last time. Oka has not slept. They haven't just had a normal sleep in almost eight years. And I think it finally punches and catches up with them. Like, they're trying. They're trying to go around Kinongbo and, like, you know, be the face of the Paragon of Sen and get used to all four wings and this halo that won't go away and the fact that there are bones on their clothes now uh, and that they don't know where their actual clothes went. They don't know where they are. And they are, you know, trying to answer questions and help people, but they keep falling asleep and piles of rubble. And uh, Zephyr was saying that it was starting to affect morale. So they have just kind of been sequestered to stay home and like sleep a lot. Still occasionally like getting up, but catching up on eight years worth of sleep. I like that. I think you just sleep. And I think the first two nights is dreamless. You just fall deep into slumber and you wake up like kind of groggy, you know, but it's so nice. It's like finally getting to taste food after eight years of not being able to taste it. You know what I mean? It's like so, it's so good. And I think on the third night, you have a dream that isn't a nightmare, that isn't a prophecy. And when you wake up, it's gentle, right? Like it's like a nice, I think, breeze is filtering through the room. You smell 
winter pollen, right? And you just, I think you just sort of like your eyelids flutter open on the mattress. And there's a soft rapping at the sliding door. Uh, Oka, are you awake? Um, uh, no, yes. Yes, hello? Uh, can I, can I steal you for a few minutes? And Oka shoots up in bed, like, really fast. Uh, all the blankets come down, they're in their clothes still, like, all four wings kind of splayed awkwardly out on the mattress behind them. They can, like, lift them up, shake one to get a blanket off of it. Uh, uh, yes, I will be there right away. Give me, uh, 35 seconds. And Oka flies to, like, the mirror on the wall, kind of looks at themselves, looks at their eye, like, that one eye that's not familiar to them blinking back at them. They have some kind of vague recollection about it, but they can't place whose it is. Uh, And they kind of turn, uh, try to, their hair is, you know, still braided, but it's, they slept on it, so it's kind of, like, fuzzy and a little tangled at the bottom. Uh, And they try to, like, put their fingers through it, but it's braided, like, all the way down. They'd have to undo the whole braid and then brush it. That's going to take, like, 20 minutes, and they only said 35 seconds. So, okay, this is good. This is good. Uh, And they, like, okay, you're okay. It's totally fine. Be normal. 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 Be normal. Uh, And then they walk to the door and open it. Dr. Luso stands on the threshold, not in their lab coat, but in a sleeveless turtleneck shirt tucked into nice trousers and these boots with, I think, silver clasps on them. And they turn to look at you and their hair is still brown and their eyes are still brown. And they've got those glasses on that they adjust very quickly. They look you up and down. Uh, Oka, hello. Uh, I just, I know I didn't want to disturb you these past few days because you've been sleeping. Well, well deserved, by the way, of course. But I figure, well, um... Can, can you do me a favor? Uh, yeah, absolutely, of course. Where's your coat? Oh, I, um, well, I'll, that doesn't, uh, can you, um, can you, uh, fly me to the top of the pagoda? You, you want to, to the, to the top of the pagoda? Well, I, I could get there myself, but there's something I want to show you. I, these past few days, I have repaired the tower, and it should be stable now, so... Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, let's, let's go. Okay, yeah, um, I can fly with four wings. You, you look great with the wings and the, they gesture vaguely at your head. And I think the spinning of the, like, blood wheels gets a little bit faster uh, when Dr. Luso looks at them. Like, it kind of, like, just turns a little bit faster, all the circles. Yeah, uh, thank you. Little... Weird. I'm sorry. I've been sleeping a lot. Um, a little disoriented. <laughs> it's completely understandable. Catching up on, what is it, eight years of lost sleep? Basically, yeah. And Dr. Luso <laughs> laughs and smiles at you. And they nod and turn and stride down the hallway. And I think they lead you out to a garden area where you can see the pagoda. And even from this distance, it has been repaired since you've been snoozing. The parts of, I think, the crumbled building, the boulders, the bits of wood that like shattered and disintegrated have just been refitted on uh, like it hadn't been shattered in the first place. And the only vestige, the only reminder, the only ghost that haunts it are, I think, sort of like Kintsugi. Like there are like cracks sealed with gold all the way up the tower. 
That's beautiful. Did you do that? Uh, yes, I did. It's beautiful. It'll live in the history of Kanongba forever. <laughs> Hopefully I did a good enough job. It's a mix of transmutation, conjuration, a little bit of evocation, but that doesn't matter. Um, Alright, so how should we... Should I hold you here? Do you want to pick me up? How, um... Let me just, um... And Oka just kind of leans forward, quickly scoops Dr. Eluso up, oh. just like under the knees, you know? Uh, just hang on. Uh, just just hold. Uh, and it's real fast. Oka's like one, two, three, four, all wings together, like once, twice, and they're like up in the air. Uh, oh, oh. And oh, making my. like quick, quick speed to the pagoda. I think the wind just gusts past you, right? You're just soaring through the air, like your wings cutting soundlessly, I think, through the air around you. You are so much faster now and a lot more stable and powerful um, than you used to be with just your two wings. There's something about this new paragon form that makes it feel like power is just surging through you. And when you land at the top of the pagoda, you see that there is a little scene set up at the top. There's a picnic blanket and some pieces of food laid out on the blanket and there are also these glowing stars like these little glowing points of starlight just floating around the top in a circle around it like fairy lights what um, and Oka kind of like is standing on the railing and gently deposits Dr. Lusa down oh. what's what's this oh uh well, uh, okay, um, Oka, when we, you know, I, uh, I know, I know we, we didn't really get a chance to talk about it, and I know I said some things along the lines of, this isn't supposed to happen, I didn't, you know, just stuff like that, and I just, right, I wanted to- fine, yeah, totally fine. No, 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 Oka, what I mean by that is I, um, I wanted to, um, I wanted to do this properly. Uh, pro prop prop proper yes i um and they bring their hands up in front of their chest and start to wring their fingers together in a way that they've never before like they look actively nervous and they're not meeting your gaze and dr luso has looked a lot of things but they've never looked anxious i uh i I like you, um, and I was hoping that you would want to go on a date with me. Oka looks sort of like they're about to pass out, and then they take like a really sharp inhale. I, um, <laughs> I would, um, I would really like that. Great! Oh, great! Oh, I'm so relieved! Oh, wow. I prepared myself for if you said no. Um, but I, I, I didn't prepare myself for if you said yes. So, um, uh, do, do you want to come down from the railing? Yeah, I've never really known you to not be prepared. I mean, it looks like you are prepared, unless that was going to be like a, I don't know, a, an apology picnic, if I said... No, but I don't know why, why you think I would say no. It would have been it's a pity ridiculous. picnic. Uh, but but you you didn't you didn't say no. Uh, so um you said yes, I suppose. So I think oh guys, you like step down from the railing, like whoosh in front of them. They go oh oh, uh, 
um, uh, and they lean up and kiss you. That's gay. That's gay. That's gay. Oka kisses them back, obviously. We could pan away. Lord. I'm not gonna pan away yet. Uh, as you kiss, you know, I think there's like a moment where I think your wings reflexively fold over the two of you. That is so gay. Yes, obviously. And then when there's like a break, like the two of you break apart, like you're looking into their deep brown eyes or gazing back up into your your eyes. Um, the, 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 uh, ooh, the, the stars, the little floating stars. Well, it's because you, um, well, you, you call me your guiding star, but to me, you, you're my guiding star, so. Saga, doesn't that mean that we're just kind of going around in circles, chasing each other around in the sky? Well, that's not so bad, is it? No, I don't think it is. Something, something spinning wheel. <laughs> okay, you, uh, you, you, you show me how to be a person, I think. Um, because I think sometimes I forget. Or I don't quite know. But when I look at you, when I'm with you, I feel like maybe I am human. Yeah. I get that. Maybe we could just remind each other that no matter what happens deep down, we're still just people. <laughs> well, uh, the tea is going to get cold, and I have set out, uh, here you will see little plates. Um, each one represents a different significant moment we have shared together. Uh, and Dr. Alyssa's gonna go over and start, you see the little placard set up of like every significant interaction the two of you have had, like mapped out analytically. Yeah, Oka just takes that all in stride. All in stride. <laughs> yeah. And I think like it's on that scene of the two of you starting to sit down on the picnic blanket and eat this delicious food that we whew, fade to black there. And when we open back up, it is three days after the time loop ends. And Lord Henka Oju finally returns to Kinongbo. Her arrival into this capital city is heralded by all sorts of fanfare, right? Dancers in the street, taiko drums with their rhythms vibrating the air, the long, sustained vibrato of traditional Jukan requiems. Half a dozen hunters carry Lord Oju atop a wooden platform, bearing the great uniter toward the loftiest steps of Kinongbo, toward that pagoda. And of course, I think the four of you are part of the party to receive her at the very top, to brief her on everything that's happened, to like pass the baton of administrative assistance over to her, right? And she does, I think, make it clear in no uncertain terms, her gratitude toward all of you for the great service you have rendered her nation and her capital and her people. 
And I think it is a head Nobu, the earth Ganassi person with crystals embedded in their skin and their hair that I think communicates the depths of this appreciation to all of you. I think we find you, I think, at the base of the pagoda now with Lord Henka Oji, surrounded by like a massive retinue of dancers and hunters and gatherers, right? And head Nobu stepping forward in front of your party to say, well, of course, um, as our honored guests, you are more than welcome to stay for as long as you please in the Dragonfish Inn and beyond, but I understand if now is the time for you all to also get a move on. We will um, see to your every accommodation before you leave, and uh, please take your time. Thank you, Lord Nobu, but... Um, and Oga kind of looks off toward the star on the distant horizon, and this, like, t- this tug... This constant pull that's been asking them to go there. I think that if we wait any longer, we'll be very late for a very tall woman's birthday party. (laughs) And we can't have that. Certainly. Well, then our best hunters shall escort you out of the capital and toward the teleportation dais. And I think we get like a montage of exactly that occurring. Right, like all of you gathering your belongings, gathering your bags, saying your final goodbyes to the people here in Kinongbo, uh, getting an escort out of the city. I think on the edge of the city, there's like a whole goodbye party, like from all the grateful people of Kinongbo, like waving bye to all of you at the base of the hill, as all of you are in like various, I think in a caravan. Uh, with various Kinongbin riders flanking you. And I think like on the edge of that fence, we also see Jingxian, who has decided to stay for a little bit instead of returning to his mother immediately, right? Also sort of like awkwardly waving uh, with Zephyr as well, with like a big arm feathered hand waving at your party. And why don't the four of you tell me, just sort of generally speaking, on your way back toward the dais, how do you pass the time? Vasca, I think, just spends her time being a little bit more lighthearted with everybody and really kind of just like gushing over how cute Dr. Luso and Oka are um, but keeping keeping a distance there's a silent shipper at the back of the cart you know uh, <laughs> and uh, I do really like the idea of like just like maybe their times where Vasca like sits up and speaks with Salali about everything that's happened and just kind of like processing everything they've just gone through and uh, slumber parties like team jukai slumber party real maybe and it's not weird and tense (laughs) would love that actually uh and i think that's how bosco spends her time for the most part and finishes writing that story i love that let's go to sitlali next I think Sitlali is, for the most part, curled up in Mercy's lap, journaling feverishly um, in Raven speech. So I don't think Mercy knows Raven speech. I hope Mercy doesn't know Raven speech. Um, And at some point, Sitlali is keeping a very close eye on Dr. Luso. Sitlali has not shared a key piece of information with anyone about Dr. Luso. And Sitlali casts sending, just kind of reaches out, tugs on a little piece of the weave that they need, to Vasca, and says, Doctor, not what they seem. True sight shows something dark lurking. 
subtle, careful, not much time. Vasca, there's a, like, heavy pause before Vasca responds with, When we returned, let us speak, just you and I. And there is a subtle nod. And I think at some point to Dewey, Silali asks about cargo shorts, and not specifically cargo shorts, but like, how how do pants work? Do pant do you know how to make pants? Is that a thing? Where do okay. you get the cargo short? Like how how do I get pants that fit me? Because I'm starting I'm thinking maybe I need a change and they kind of like gesture to the like peach fuzz and they're like pants? I don't <laughs> you are you what are what do you you make things but you're not an architect but like you're what do you have like a title? Like uh maker of all sorts, but oh my god, I'm so glad you asked about pants. The the changeling thing and like being different heights and needing different like lengths of pants. Oh my god, I got you. And he's he hands over a pair of like these uh pants that have multiple zip off segments. <laughs> Just an idea. Not the Kingdom Hearts zipper pants for Zitlali. I think Zitlali considers the pants. <laughs> These are an idea. What is a zipper? <laughs> and I think if it's all right with you, Quinn, I think yeah. on that, we're going to cut over to Dewey and how Dewey spends his time. Uh, I think one night when they're all in their bedrolls, um, Dewey approaches, I think Oka at first, and he's got like a toolbox, uh, but it's not his normal toolbox and it's kind of like brightly colored. And he sits down and he gestures to Oka's braid and he's like, can I, do you mind if I? Are you going to make it robotic so it can grab stuff? No, no, uh, I could if you, no. Uh, no, still getting used to it even existing. Uh, and Dewey opens this box and it's got multiple layers and it's got like little multicolored hair things in it. Um, it's a caboodle, uh, right? Is that what they're called? Yeah. Uh, and if it's all right, he like undoes the elastic at the bottom and like sort of brushes it out. Uh, and he's showing Oka how to do like a Navalian braid. He's like, this way, like the pieces won't fall out as easily. Um, I don't know, it's just an idea. I don't know if you want to keep the braid long-term. Uh, it's just a, something I picked up um, when I was doing Hana's hair. And I think Oka kind of like, like just relaxes into it. And they're like, you're gonna have to keep braiding. It's really long. Uh, oh, yeah. And I really can't see what you're doing, so you can just keep doing it for me. Oh yeah, give me like two minutes and then I'll get to the part and I'll, I'll bring it around. And maybe you can finish it off? I don't know. Uh, maybe you have magic to do that. Oh, uh, no, it's okay. I, uh, I don't mind when you do it. All right, it's been, it's been a moment since I've done this, so bear with me. The top is messy, but you don't, you don't have to look at the top, luckily, so. <laughs> Uh, hey, Mercy, the ends uh, that you tried to cut for your hair, the back. Yeah, what's up? Looks terrible. Can, you, let me fix it. Are you just going to criticize with an... Oh, all right, okay, cool. All right, all right, go over here if you're just going to talk shit about my hair. Yeah, let's see you fix it. Hair no, tray. you have to sit in front of me. Dewey's doing my hair. Oh, my God. What is this? A little daisy chain of little, little babies doing their baby hair. Okay, yeah, fine. Whatever. I want that. Okay. Just sit. Shut up. And I think that's a good place for us to transition up to Oka. Oka's still sleeping quite a bit, I think, in the back of the wagon still. 
But now when they're awake, instead of obsessively reading Shu Haimiao's diary and losing their, you know, sense of self and identity the closer they got to Kenongbo, it's kind of like the other way around. They're settling into their own new existence, testing the odd limitations of their body, their wings, the like the blood halo that never seems to go away, the way it spins. And I think they do eventually like all together one night, like after Dewey has braided their hair, when they're starting to get closer and closer to the teleportation dais that will eventually bring them home, getting closer and closer to the star. I think they do have a passing thought, and they pull out Shu Haimiao's diary. And they flip to the end, where before there had been blank pages. Have they been filled? Every single page is filled. The story of the past paragon's odd victory over the stranger. The story of the great rebuilding. The story of Shu Hai meeting Sagu. Living a life together loving each other, Shuhai's final days with Sagu, and I think at the very end of this diary, the final passage is a note to you that Shuhai leaves. The last sentence of the passage reads, just remember, if you can change, anything can. And I think on that, we go to black. And we open on a massive laboratory. Alabaster tile, glass tubes frothing with strange liquids, the acrid scent of chemicals. Arcane sigils sprawl across the floor like the veins of a tree spooling up, up, up a flight of rigid stairs until they terminate in a perfect circle atop an elevated dais. And sitting in the middle of that circle, surrounded by all these arcane symbols, is Lilith. She's sitting casually, one ankle propped on top of a knee, leaning backward, almost like she's getting ready to be sketched by an artist. But as she's sitting there, she's sort of like running, I think, these bony fingers through her thin, washed out kind of white blonde hair. And as she pushes some of it back out of her forehead, she addresses the man finishing the ritual around her, Adam who's on his hands and knees, I think, swiping blood across the sigils, feeding them with his own life force. Now, 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 Adam, my little ugly duckling, can I trust you to do what needs to be done when Adolin begins? <laughs> of course you can, Lilith. This is what both of us have been working toward this entire time, is it not? It is. I'll be busy for eight days and eight nights, as you know. And I figure the thorn in our side is only going to keep getting to us. So do try to intercept or better yet kill them before they get here. I won't be able to take care of the business myself, so I'll have to count on you. 
Don't worry, Lilith. I won't let you down. This episode of The Second Stranger was edited by Connie Chong. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and explaintrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out explaintrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanarRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanarRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon paragons. Alex, Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Lyle and Peanut, Purple Mouse, Riley, Scruffisus, and Target.